Hello and welcome to this weekly Peak Prosperity Update with Chris Martinson. I'm your host. We got a really big show today, very important. Um, it's based on two things. First, you know that people feel like something is coming. We're going to talk about what that is. And second, I'm going to show you how it is I do what I do. So I'm really here to help you become resilient, become prepared. And I do that with a very defined process. Today, we're going to talk about that process. Love to get your feedback on that. So today, but it's all about, it comes down to we're facing system failure. This is where that really odd, odd bad feeling comes from that a lot of people happen to have right now, myself included. I've been on the phone all week talking with people, many of them names you've probably heard of, and some you haven't, and almost to a person, they had the same thing. We don't know what's coming, they say, but I can feel it, something bad, something big, something we don't know what, right? So that's in the air, and I think I know why that's there. So let's go there, let's talk about this. First, <clears throat> we are facing a system failure, and we can parse this on a bunch of different levels, but. The problem is it's coming from so many directions without the right kind of narrative framing, without a structure to hold it together, you won't know what's happening. You know, you might as well be somebody praying over a very, very sick child a long time ago when you don't understand things like bacterial infections or the role of interleukin-6 as a signaling molecule, things like that, where if you have an organizing framework around why something is happening, hey, it may not change what's happening, but you know what it is and it helps to reduce anxiety. So big part of reducing anxiety, believe it or not, is to stare straight into the predicaments we're facing and go from there. So I believe we're facing a really sharp turn. And this is not just we, the United States, if, or we, Europe, or we, Japan. This is we, the humans on this planet, are facing a really big change coming up. So it's kind of like, you know, if you're driving down a straight road, that's where it's been going. You have every expectation that it's still gonna to continue to be straight. But if there's a corner coming, you have to begin preparing for that, maybe by reducing speed, maybe by figuring out what your line of attack is gonna to be to take that corner. But you have to prepare for it. Driving by looking in your rear view mirror while facing a sharp corner is a very bad thing. So the past is no longer a guide. And I have a whole framework for why I think that is. If you watched last week, I told you about complex systems and resources. We're gonna get into those a little bit more today. But we may not just be facing a sharp corner, we may be facing actually a complete U-turn. This could be a moment in time when humanity loses progress, where we actually go backwards, where we face a dark ages, and this is actually what we're up against now if we don't do things differently, if we're not more clever than we have been so far. Remember, it doesn't have to be this way, but every day we fritter away without figuring out how to adjust is another day where our window of opportunities shrink down, they close. So I want to avoid that at all costs, and I want you to avoid that at all costs, and, and that brings us to my goal. My goal in life and my mission is to create a world worth inheriting. I don't think we're on path for that. So what can we do to fix that? It begins with you, it begins with me. We have to become the change we wish to see. As trite as that sound, it's absolutely true. And so my main goals are to help people, to help you avoid hardship as much as possible, to become resilient. Why? Well, we should be happy and we should thrive. I don't, I'm not talking about surviving. I'm interested in thriving. And of course, I'm interested in finding other people who are interested in that 
hey, that vibe is very strong. It's out there right now, but a lot of people don't quite yet know how to navigate that time because there's still the old story. We know this new story is coming. We're caught in that awkward interregnum between stories. Hey, it's an uncomfortable place to be. We don't know where we stand with a new story. So the invitation I have is to learn as much as you can, become as knowledgeable as you can so that you can take actions. And so this is actually the, the larger model I work by. Hey, education is great all by itself. You know, it doesn't really do anything, but it's, it's really important. Uh, you could learn about social studies, politics, you know, computers, English, whatever. Study as many things as you want, but only as many things as you need so that you can take these actions here. And you would begin with things like maybe all the way at the bottom, food. You had to make sure your family has food stored up at least a few months worth. And then, hey, where's your water coming from? I don't have to worry about it here, but if I lived in other parts of the country or world, I would have to worry about it a lot. Warmth, hey, security. And then if you have all those things taken care of, uh, you know, of course we want to live around love and beauty and all of those good things. So that's the model that we're pursuing at Peak Prosperity is to give people as much of a grounding in the context as possible so that if they choose, they might begin to take some of these more concrete actions and steps towards building their own resilience, not just for themselves, not just for their families, both important, but for their communities and for the people around them in a more broad sense. So, all of that will lead to resilience, but you need both of these parts coming together. It's really, it's education and it's action coming together. And I don't, education's the wrong word. Education doesn't mean more facts, right? Hey, uh, fairly educated people, they can do trivia, you can like win at Jeopardy. This isn't what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about having a lot of data at your fingertips. This thing gives me all the data I need. If everybody who had one of these was uh, super intelligent and educated, then, and knowledgeable, then, then this would be the solution. Of course, obviously that's not the case. So what am I talking about? David uh, Rummelhart put it, I think really well here, all the knowledge is in the connections. What we're trying to do here, what I'm doing on a weekly basis, daily basis back at Peak Prosperity is connecting dots, making those connections. How does the economy connect to energy? How, does, how do both of those connect to the social construct, how does that connect to geopolitics, politics? How does any of this connect to the environment? Banking, they all actually connect and you have to understand those connections to begin to even make sense of the world. Now, each one of those, you could study for infinite amounts of time and still not get all the way to the bottom of that subject anymore. So how do we deal with that level of complexity in our lives? Well, the only answer I've come up with is we need organizing frameworks. We need a a scaffolding so that we can understand just enough of each of these subjects so that they begin to coalesce into a pattern that we can see. Now, when I do that across all these subjects, I come up and I can boil it up to just a single word, which is unsustainable. We're on an unsustainable trajectory. That's what I feel. I don't know how that's going to represent. I don't know how that's going to break first. I don't know, you know, is that a dirty bomb in Ukraine? Is that, you know, breakdown of shipping? Is it, you know, some collapse of some key ecosystem? I don't know. I do know that an unsustainable trajectory ends badly at some point unless you willingly get off it. So no sign we're actually getting off that. Now, this concept here um, by David is, uh, Rimmelhart is actually... A very old one. And one of my favorite sayings is by Leonardo da Vinci, who said, learn how to see, 
Realize that everything connects to everything else. And I agree with that. The more I study things, the more I see how all sorts of different things connect to each other. Now, this is real knowledge right here. So let's start going down this path. So, so knowledge to me is the connection between all these different things. So here are a few areas that I work and bring my work to the world. This is what I'm doing with you today out here in, in the public world of, of YouTube or Sovereign or Rumble or wherever you're seeing this particular video. And one of the ways that I start to create the scaffolding for my followers is through something called framing. So I have this episode called Rats in a Cage. If you haven't seen it, you probably really should. Uh, there's the link. The links will be down in the show notes below. This is a really formative frame. It helps us understand that the way you see people behaving around you at the retail level with fingers pointing back and forth and back and forth is a function of something called shock-induced aggression. And it's been really well studied in all sorts of different animals, other social animals, and we're a social animal. So once you understand the rats in a cage framing, lots of people have said, wow, Chris, that really helped snap into focus what I'm seeing. So it's no longer... Um, is confusing and it's no longer as um, overwhelming as it might be when you see the French police going up against the French unionists, right? It, it, all of a sudden, if you see this as rats in a cage, you understand, oh, we can go up a layer, begin to understand this from the sense of what is the frame that's happening in here? All right. So with that, uh, that's one part of framing. Here's another part of framing might be this one here, exponential growth. If once you understand what exponential growth is, this is a quick little chapter right here. It's like, if you follow that, that's part of the Crash Course video series. That's eh, maybe three minutes. That may change your life. This is a really powerful three minutes. It helps you understand this thing called exponential growth. Why is that important? Because you're surrounded by it. But once you see it, once you have a frame for it, you can hang it on there and you can begin to assemble a view of the world that doesn't require you to be an expert in shipping logistics or forestry management or anything like that to begin to make sense of what's actually happening as our world goes through these exponential changes. Some of them positive, some of them not so positive. And once you have that framing, I think it really helps make sense of the world. This is the power of framing, really critical. All right, uh, as well, I just talked recently about complex systems. It's a frame. Once you understand complex systems as a framing element, you can begin to see the complex systems that surround us. You understand a couple of key features of them. Yeah, they're unpredictable. And they owe their order and complexity to energy flowing through them. And once you see our economy as a complex system or energy systems as complex systems or humans in a culture as a complex system, it's a frame. It begins to make more sense what's actually happening out there in the world. And that's the point of all this. Frames help simplify a complicated and complex world so that we can, you, our, our, our poor little hardware and software that, that nature granted us can begin to manage uh, understanding these things at enough of a level that we can make sense of them. All right. Now, um, so once we have all this, all this framing here, we can actually see the world through this pretty well. And one last piece in here, false narratives. Uh, I do talk a lot about these false narratives as a frame. And it's really important um, to understand the, the role of, of stories and storytelling in how we humans interpret the world, understand the world for all of our complexity and 
beautiful technology and ability to have defined, you know, really rigorous AI programs that can parse through really complicated, complex situations. You and I, we still form our basis of how we see the world based on our belief systems, our narrative structures, the stories that we're told. Once you see the role of narratives and how they shape us, you begin to appreciate the power of the false narrative. We are surrounded by false narratives right now. A lot of them. And those could really uh, come back to bite us pretty hard. So the first part of knowledge, true knowledge, which is, as Da Vinci said, it's knowledge is understanding that everything connects to everything else. It's not a bunch of trivia. It's not a bunch of facts. We can call those up anytime we want on this. Knowledge is how we begin to connect dots. So there's a whole set of dots over here in framing that I begin to connect in for people, for you perhaps, and this becomes part of your knowledge base. And then, hey, now we're in, now we're in a great relationship because I learned all of these things from somebody else and I will pass them on and hopefully some of you will take these on and teach them to other people. And that is the great mystery of being a human. We get to take this incredible knowledge from somewhere else, from someone else, and we get to hold it and pass it on and curate it and keep it moving. All right. Also, I, I want to help us understand where we are and what's going on in the world through this process of understanding how we're wired. This is as an organism, evolution, evolutionary biology, evolutionary psychology says, hey, there are certain things you need to understand about humans, right? So um, for a human, jealousy can be a very potent concept, but for a house cat, maybe not so much, you know, or, or a dim concept at best, but certainly not for a snake, right? So, so the evolution of the organism defines a lot of the experience of that organism, how it interprets the stimuli that come in. So one of the key pieces here is around demoralization. I, it sounds like a depressing word, but it's not really. Demoralization is a very specific word. It's not depression, but a lot of people are facing demoralization and they are demoralized. And why, why does demoralization happens when a human, a person's cognitive map no longer matches the reality they're living in, right? So people who get demoralized are prisoners of war. Uh, they happen to be people who are facing really big life altering things like, a, you know, a terminal cancer diagnosis. Potentially people will slip through a phase of their cognitive map of who they are and, you know, what they believe and how they are in the world no longer maps what's happening out there. Now we see this in young people all the time and increasingly all the time. 50% of people by the age of 25 are going to go through some demoralizing incident and may get mischaracterized as depression, but it's not. Once we understand that frame of what demoralization is and how it's different from depression, it gives us a lot of power because often the people who are the most demoralized are actually our most intelligent because they have a cognitive map that <laughs> doesn't map reality and they've detected that quickly and accurately. So somebody who's demoralized today, particularly somebody who's younger, is probably actually reading the situation correctly. And so the way we begin to use that frame to enhance their lives and our interactions with somebody who may be demoralized or maybe ourselves, is we understand that there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that may be the sign that you're on the right track. In fact, that may be the sign that you need to detangle and de decouple from the, that place, your reality that's no longer mapping into your cognitive self. So 
hey, you know, young person, you need to go to school and get good grades and you'll have a permanent record. And even if you're a straight A student with a 4.3 average, you may not get into one of the premier schools. But even if you did, you'd come out of it with like crushing levels of student debt. And by the way, the Federal Reserve's out there making sure that you can't afford to buy a house because it's important to them that the people who already have houses are the winners in this story and the people who need to buy houses are the losers. Oh, by the way, have a happy life. Don't forget to smile. That's demoralizing, right? Okay, so that's a frame. It's, it helps to understand incentives. Charlie Munger, right-hand man of Warren Buffett. I love this quote. Show me the incentive. I'll show you the outcome. Hey, we saw this in, uh, you know, I, I bastardized this a little bit to say, you show me the incentive and I'll show you the RCT outcome for all those trials that were just like coming up weird uh, for the last couple of years. So if once you understand incentives and how important they are for shaping humans, it's really, in fact, I don't think you, you can be a student of incentives all day long, and I don't know that you will ever master really understanding just how powerful they are. But incentives shape everything. And so when you understand that frame of incentives in today's world and you see the kind of incentives that are actually being dangled out there, you understand that this is a really screwed up place. It's really dark because the incentives are leading to really bad outcomes. And so... If we want to change those outcomes, we're going to have to change the incentive structure. If it was my magic wand, get to wave the policy wand, you know what would happen? We would have consequences land back on the powerful as much as they land on the little people. Equal justice, right? We would have incentives through consequences so that people who did things like fooled around with coronaviruses in labs would actually face consequences for that, not promotions and new grant money and things like that. Those consequences be very, very important. So that's what we mean by incentives. So I, gotta, I talk about those all the time back at Peak Prosperity. Incentives and narratives and belief systems are always part of the work that I'm doing because this is how I begin to understand why people do what they do. And not only that, predicting what is likely to come next because of the narratives that are already in place and the incentives that are already in place. If you understand those two structures, there's a good chance you can predict what's going to happen next. It's not really a prediction. It's more of an extrapolation. So, I mean, here's some bad narratives we're surrounded by. Here's one. I talked about this in complex systems last time. This is a chart of total credit market debt in the United States. So that line comes from the Federal Reserve, and that line there is all credit in the United States, the debt outstanding. Household debt, corporate debt, federal, municipal, etc. Right? State debt. At any rate, all, that's all sectors, just debt though, not liabilities, right? Not underfunded pensions or unfunded, you know, social security programs or Medicare, just debt growth. And if you understand the framing piece I did on exponential growth, you will see this is an exponential chart. Well, no big deal, right? Well, except that once you understand that and you take the further foundational understanding of how money is created and what debt really is, well, debt is a claim on the future. It's a claim on future money. And money is a claim on the real things that come out of the earth, right? So you take oil and you refine it and you turn it into diesel. And then we use that to ship products from point A to point B that, in fact, there's nothing you can spend any money on <clears throat> that isn't somehow directly or somewhat indirectly connected to resources that came out of the earth. So when you see an exponential chart like this, the first question is, well, can, can our claims on the earth constantly expand exponentially forever? 
And the answer is, no, of course not. Exponential growth on a finite planet is a stupid idea. Uh, it's a guy in a dunce cap, cap down there, but it just doesn't make any sense. And we know this. We know this on a lot of levels. The environmentalists out there who are busy gluing their hands to things are, are, have sort of are, have a dim understanding of what they're up against, but not really, I don't think. If they really understood what they're up against, they are not up against the oil business. They're up against a financial system that demands and reinforces and otherwise commands us to go out and uses incentives, right? Because if you're in debt, you have a powerful incentive to not let that debt go belly up, right? Every money system enforces some behaviors, punishes others. Well, a debt-based money system pretty much says whatever you have to do to pay that debt off, you'd better do it because the alternative is to end up under a bridge. Bad moment for a, for a person. So at any rate, this money system we have is an old narrative and our current leaders are cranking that narrative as much as they can to keep it going and it's obviously failing. And this is a bad moment for the human social animal. The herd is getting skittish, right? We're like the wildebeest have figured out that they've eaten all the grass in this valley and a few of them who get skittish first are sending up the signals like maybe we should go find another valley, you know, with more grass in it. And the problem in this story is the human herd doesn't have a next valley. There, there's nowhere left to go in this story of resources. So it's a really big thing. And yet we're not really talking about it. We're, we're sort of waving. Our leaders are doing this sort of like really horribly defective job of sort of hand waving at this stuff saying, well, you know, we just want everybody to get an electric cars. <laughs> and if you actually calculate, is this possible? The answer is a resounding no for all sorts of reasons but especially resource reasons. So at any rate, but it doesn't matter. Our money system is driving all of this and that's an exponential money system in the US and it's been like this all over the world. All right, so a lot of those kinds of ideas are actually contained in this book. It's called The Crash Course. You see the, the original edition of it right here. This is a brand new revised edition. This one came out in 2011. This one's coming out in February of 2023. I have a request. I would very much like for this to get on the bestseller list. And the way we do that is by pre-ordering it off of Amazon or Barnes and Noble or any other place that's part of the BookScan network. There's a link for it down there. This link will be down in the show notes, but I would love to get this on the bestseller list. Hey, for, you know, bragging rights. But honestly, I don't get rich off of books. Books, to me, a book is the most expensive business card you can ever write, you know, unless you get really lucky. But for me, Given the content of this book, I want it to get out into as many hands as possible. Being on the bestseller list helps that happen. I think more people need to think this way and need to know about these ideas. So that's my request. Uh, do a pre-order there and let's see if we can get this on the bestseller list when it comes out. Um, if not just for the first week, then, then maybe for uh, months afterwards. All right, so uh, another piece about how we're wired how we're wired evolutionarily, how we're wired neurologically. Another piece is something called the adjustment reactions. A lot of people have told me that this episode on adjustment reactions was also extremely helpful for them to understand themselves, the people around them. You understand that some people are fast adjusters, some are not fast adjusters, and there's nothing wrong with either or right with either of those two conditions, just how it is. Knowing that, knowing that about ourselves and others is a really, really helpful piece of framing. So with that, now we have this framing knowledge up here. 
we have the human wiring coming into the knowledge and we're starting to really round out the knowledge sphere here. Okay, how about how we're being played? It's really important to understand how we're being played. So I've talked a lot about this in the past. You know, there are nudge units out there. They use the latest in psychological techniques. They use all sorts of testing. They use AI, artificial intelligence, to figure out how to get better at it. They operate inside of Canada. They operate in military units. They operate in the United States. They operate in New Zealand, Australia, the UK, Europe. And these nudge units are designed to take the mass of humanity and nudge them in a certain direction. So they will do certain things. And they're ridiculously effective at it. It's it's an astonishing thing. So I've talked about that. Um, this was in an episode called Mind Control Tricks Revealed. Came out a while ago. There's the link again. This is important framing to understand that, yeah, you know what? There, there are nudge units and they're operating. But once you see them and you can see their tricks, and you understand, you've spent a little time to research what they're up to. It's ridiculously easy to spot it in print, in the news. I see it all the time now. I point it out for my subscribers whenever I can. And... Um, we are exposed to a related concept, which is propaganda. And propaganda is the use of emotionally evocative material to achieve some sort of a, a maneuver, a political maneuver of, of having people either stay with complete fealty to a given concept or idea or to move towards this new idea. But <clears throat> propaganda is about creating an in-tribe of people who believe something that's not necessarily good for them, good for anybody else, not necessarily even true. So propaganda is a very uh, open technique. It's used all the time. Here was an example from the New York Times that I ran through with our subscribers. And I just noted this is not an opinion piece by Shira Frankel here. This is an article in the New York Times and I just started noting for people, look at the emotionally laden word content in here. This is the first, there's just a couple of paragraphs here and everything circles like, you know, objectors, narrowing, obsession, skepticism, hardened, cementing, oppose, intensity, injects, fueled by, increasingly dogmatic. You just like, ah, you know, it's really, <laughs> this couldn't be more blatant, right? Once you see the propaganda techniques and you understand the use of emotional word content rather than neutral word content or even positive word content versus negative word content, once you see it for what it is, you actually become free from it. It no longer has a, a hold on you. If you just read this and allowed it to get absorbed in without consciously parsing it, you'd be hard pressed not to come away with a really bad attitude about the people who are the subject of this particular article. And by the way, it, the, the subjects in this, these were some parents who had questions about the mandates and that was, you know, off the reservation for this uh, uh, journalist here at the New York Times. So at any rate, this is, this is uh, the kind of stuff that once you can see it, once you have that understanding of the games that are being played from a propaganda standpoint, wow, now the world is yours again a little bit. You are free from that. And by the way, very sophisticated propaganda efforts out there right now. Uh, as well, they're hacking our social wiring all the time. Now, as social beings, one of the more influential books I ever read is called Influence by Robert Cialdini. It's fantastic. And he talks about the various ways that humans have wiring and marketers use this to hack into it a little bit, right? And 
one of the things that we really like is to be part of the tribe. We don't like to be excluded. We don't like to be voted off the island. We don't want to be shunned. We don't want to be dismissed. You know, we like to be invited to things. We don't like to be, you know, rejected. So that is used over and over again in all sorts of ways to, again, nudge people back towards being part of the in crowd, which has, you know, a, a very strict set of criteria of things you have to believe in order to be part of that and specific catechisms you have to recite to, to uh, make it all worthwhile. But this, we saw, we saw tons of this coming up in, so as Cialdini was pointing out to us, you know, uh, we, we behave in certain ways and marketers have used that obviously in, to their own advantage, but reciprocity, right? When we're given something, when we're handed something, we are much more likely to respond in kind because that's how we're wired as social creatures. And there's anything you can do to, to enhance the idea that if somebody buys something of yours, they will be part of the in crowd, they will be loved, they will be more sexually desirable, they will earn more money, people will think better of them. Hey, you can sell that pretty easily relative to the opposite of those things. So the, our social wiring got hacked and hacked hard. We saw this, we saw this come up a lot over the past couple of years where all sorts of tactics were used by nudge units to you know, use that sense of social wiring against us to create sense of exclusion, of shame, of ridicule, all attacking our sense of belonging in wanting to belong. And so we saw this happen over and over again. I have so many examples of this. And again, this is just being used to achieve a certain outcome. Now, we have these three things together. We have the framing plus the human wiring plus understanding how we're being played. We have these pieces in one spot together. And so this begins to show you the kind of thinking I'm putting into being able to communicate in a way. This happens in every episode. I'm always thinking about this sort of frame so that I'm, I can effectively and efficiently communicate with you to help you maybe see the world in a different way. That's what my job is as a translator, as an information scout, as a communicator, as a, I don't like the word educator as much. I, I, I'm, I'm more about increasing the knowledge that's out there and knowledge is context. Now, a big difference between me and say the sensors out there is I actually trust that if you get information, whether it's from me or from somebody else, that you will weigh that information and then you will make your own informed decisions based off of that. And I trust that you know what's best for you. So I trust you. I trust my audience, I trust people in general with the appropriate incentives and with the right context to do what's best for them. And that's just how I'm built. Of course, I truly believe that the censors out there, they don't have that point of view. They really don't trust any of us. They trust themselves, of course. They always have that sense of noblesse oblige, right? I would not worry about myself falling afoul of any of that misinformation, but I do worry about other people, always unnamed. They never point them out like that guy. I'm worried about that guy <laughs> taking this misinformation and drinking bleach or doing something stupid. It's sort of like this, this nebulous sense of others, the people who are not in their in crowd. Of course, of course, their in crowd are very smart people and they would never do anything like that. But the out crowd, right, is part of that whole process of ridicule, shame, othering, et cetera, in order to create that wall so that you feel better and more superior and you keep the other people at distance. But fundamentally, it's rooted in a profound contempt for those other people. I don't, I don't have that. I think all people can make the best decisions in their own lives as long as you bring them the right information and you bring the best information you can and listen, you might not, we'll never have all the right information. You know, once upon a time, scientists believed all kinds of crazy things. Today, scientists believe these sorts of things. Some of those will prove to be 
crazy in just a year or two or 10 time. So that's how that goes. All right. So we've got, we're beginning to form this, this, this richer environment of knowledge. Now you've got your framing pieces, you got your wiring, you got the, how we're being played. We're starting to work with those things. Now we also have to talk about systems. And I already mentioned this before, same one as before, but, but this idea of complex systems is really an important piece to understand it. It deserves a chunk all on its own. Yes, it's framing, but it's a piece of framing that's really critical to study more comprehensively. So how do complex systems operate? What are their features? You're surrounded by them. Again, we don't all want to become complex systems experts, but just enough to appreciate that they can't be predicted. They can't be controlled, which means everybody who's trying to control them right now is playing with a form of fire they really don't understand. I mean, it's monkeys with machine guns. It's, it's the oldest story in the book. It's Prometheus, right? It's, it's humans playing around with something where they feel transcendent, they feel godlike for a while till their wax wings melt off. And then they feel a little bit less godlike, a lot more mortal in this story, right? And, and so this is an old, old, old story of humans getting an organizing principle that's wrong, their narrative's wrong, they feel invincible, they feel godlike, they feel immortal, and then they get burned. And so this idea of complex systems is actually really important to me because once you understand it, it brings humility with it. Humility, not like, oh, I'm a, you know, I, I just, I'm just not a worthy person or something like that kind of false humility, a humility born of the idea of like, it's beyond us to actually understand it. Doesn't mean we can't appreciate it. Also doesn't mean we can't understand it well enough to know that complex systems have emergent behaviors really powerful idea. So I elevate complex systems kind of to its own special spot. So it, it's not just complex systems, but all systems. So having a, a, a way of thinking things in, through things in terms of systems is really helpful because remember, again, the whole point of this is to help take a hugely complicated world and simplify it into a place where we haven't actually lost enough detail that we can't make sense of it anymore, but, but to simplify it so we can actually get our arms around it, begin to understand it. We do this at the 30,000 foot level, top down in systems view, really important. So framing, human wiring, how we're being played, plus systems, and we start to get a really good view of the world. And then the last piece I like to bring into this is, is this idea of resources. So when I said, you know, again, I can boil this all down to a single word, unsustainable or phrase, completely unsustainable. Really, it's about how we're burning through resources. So in the last episode on complex systems, I gave a little, little talk about this thing called peak oil. And peak oil is one of many resources I track. There's a whole other story about minerals extraction we just went through last time. It's a really important story. I think once you understand the resource story, all sorts of things begin to fall into place. Like, hey, they the great reset crowd, they can't be this dumb. They got to know that everything they're telling us that we're going to be doing it with respect to clean energy and the whole transition to clean energy and alternative energy, wind and solar. Listen, as important as those may be, you still have to do the basic math of saying, well, how many windmills, how many solar panels will we need? And how much uh, copper will that take? How much steel will that take? How much neodymium will that take? You have to ask, and answer those basic questions and they, and they haven't done that. So that's something that I do talk about. And I had, I highlighted this really incredible work here by professor, uh, Simone Michaud here. And, uh, here's the YouTube link for his incredible presentation. He's also got some papers out, but bottom line, 
you just know the narrative's BS. Remember I talked about demoralization? Imagine how demoralizing it is. You're a young person. You've been told your whole life that we have to move away from fossil fuels. We're going to move towards alternative energy. But then you do the basic math and you're like, how, how are the adults in my life this ignorant? How is this even possible? And if they're this ignorant about this, what else are they this ignorant about? And how can I trust somebody who displays this level of ignorance here? And of course, what we're looking at in this table very briefly for people who didn't watch the last episode is that at current rates of production, it would take 189 years, that's that last column, just for copper, 189 years to mine the copper that we would need for Gen 1 of the clean energy utopia. It's not going to happen because we don't have 189 years in this story to, to develop all that. But that's one of the better stories out there. It would take 400 years to mine enough nickel, 9,920.7 years to mine enough lithium, etc. These are crazy numbers. So again, the cognitive map, the reality, they don't line up. Cognitive map, we're going to move towards this alternative clean energy future. Believe it. Glue your hands to the wall. You believe it so hard. Oh, hey. The reality is it's going to take thousands of years to actually mine the stuff we would need to make that reality. It just doesn't, it just doesn't match, right? And so once I think those people, these young people, God bless their passion, but once they discover that mismatch, well, they're going to be pretty pissed and or demoralized or both, right? So that's why we study these things like resources. Once you look at the resource story, a lot snaps into focus because, come on, you know that they have this information too. They have to know that at the same time they're pimping out this whole clean energy future, they have to know that it doesn't pencil out, not under current conditions. Now, we could change those conditions, but only if we had the right narrative and the right story in play. And we'd say, gosh, we need 180 times more copper to come out of the ground in the next five years than has come out on a yearly basis. How would we do that? Well, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be spending all our money blowing stuff up in, in pointless wars. We would have all of humanity redirecting its incredible intelligence and resources to doing that new thing. But first, you'd have to have the right story in play, and we don't have one. So that's really quite a tell in this particular story. Now, so now with that, and of course, very brief view, at least these, all these things go much deeper. But with the framing and the human wiring, and we've got the how we're being played part and the systems and the resources, these dots, when you connect them, this becomes the knowledge that helps you make an informed decision about where you think the world is going and what the future might be and how it might unfold and what the probabilities are of all of this resolving itself in some disruption-free, painless sort of a way. A little rough spot here. The debt markets are going to be a little cranky for a while, but we'll come out of this and everything will carry on as before. The road will be straight in front of us. No corners. This view I'm, I'm pointing out right here, this has some corners in it. This says things are going to change a lot. Now, that doesn't mean bad. For some people, they can interpret it that way, but this simply means the world will be different. And the point of being a human and adaptive and creative is to skate to where the puck is going to be. This point of view I'm putting out to the world explains, in my way, the way I think that we can see the future a little bit, right? It's not making a prediction. It's just saying, under current conditions, if we extrapolate, if we see where the puck is already headed, we have a chance of figuring out how to meet it at some random point in the future, right? That, that's, the, that's the point of all this, is to figure out, can we get an edge through knowledge that will help us un understand why things are the way they are and where they're headed? So that's the work I do in the world. I wanted to take this time with you to sort of articulate that I, have a, I, got, I got a lot 
cranking on up here when I'm when I'm delivering any given piece of information to you. I'm I'm trying to think of how to best organize it within this framework so that it will help you move to new actions in your own life. But I don't know what those actions are for you. I've got some broad outlines, but I mean, you will only know what's best for you and your your loved ones um, in the context of this information. So that's how we get to resilience. Knowledge plus actions leads to resilience. And so that's the point of all this. I would love for all of us to be resilient. I'm working very hard to be resilient here. Evie and I, um, you know what, we should just take a little time. So, so this is Evie. We live on this piece of property right here. We've looked at this whole giant crazy you know, world and, and the way I look at this and we talk about it endlessly and Evie has to listen to me rant over her coffee almost every day. And the result is uh, we have, she's holding a beat right there. They, they, they were the size of footballs this year. So anyway, if you need beats, call me. Um, so, and we have a big garden, right? So when I was saying to the whole world, hey, plant a garden, it wasn't just words I was mouthing. I, I, I walk the talk. Everything I suggest people do is part of our lives here at this point in time. And, oh, here, we. this is a garden beds just uh, taken yesterday. And you see a nice layer of compost on there. And we've spent a lot of time making compost and, you know, weeding out the gardens and getting them ready for winter so that in the spring they're going to be very productive beds. These are our cows hanging out in our field. And we decided we wanted to thrive into whatever future is coming, living in a beautiful spot. So this is a beautiful spot. And we're very, very fortunate to be here in this beautiful spot with cows sharing this land with as many people as, as we know how. Oh, hey, we let the cows into our corn patch at the end of the season. This is our sweet corn patch. And that's a happy cow. <laughs> they trampled that in like a day. They love that. So that's fun. We got uh, grapevines finally started producing this year. This is only our third year on the, on the property. So we planted the grapevines in year one when we got here just installed a greenhouse. So this is fantastic. It means we can actually do our own propagation, our own early seed starting, doing our own recycling of, of starts so that we can put full, fully formed starts into the garden all season long. And then also maybe extend the growing season a month or two on each end for certain greens and things like that, just to complement our diets here. And our number one goal here is to improve the soil. And so this is actually a picture of me improving the soil. There's a bush hog on the back of that tractor. And you can see I'm hogging down those rows. And so what's happening here is we're not harvesting the hay and taking it away. We're taking that carbon and putting it right back into the soil because we're building the soil as quickly as we know how. Now, I think all the wisdom we need is contained in this one funny meme. Grandma survived the Great Depression because her supply chain was local and she knew how to do stuff. This is actually where I think we're, I think there's a great wisdom in this. And so this is a time when you, there are things you can't control. I can't control what the Federal Reserve is gonna do. I can't control them being knuckleheads. I can't control Biden's foreign policy or whoever comes next, or I can't control any of that, but I can control what happens in our own garden and I can control where our water comes from and I can control things like that. So keep your supply chains local. There's disruptions coming. This is what we're all going to need. Now, um, if you want, if you consider any of this valuable, if you would like to have access to this brain, my way of teaching, my information scouting abilities, then you need to become a member of Peak Prosperity. And we have a number of different levels. Here are two levels, the Information Scout, the Peak Insider. Here's a couple of comments down here. I'll let you read those from uh, Peak Prosperity Insiders. 
at least three times a week, I'm putting out additional content beyond this and the second part of this, which comes out always in companion on Tuesdays with this particular piece. And that piece this week is, uh, part two is called, Can the Central Banks Rescue This Mess One More Time? And I'm told, I don't know, uh, it's an open question, but this is what I do. This is how we do it. This is the peak prosperity method. It's not what you know. It's how you put those pieces together. It's not how many pieces of data you have. It's how you connect the dots between those various pieces of data. Because that's intelligence. That's knowledge is the connection of all those pieces. So that's what we do. That's what I do. Would invite you to come and become a member of that. We'd love to have you. We've got a fantastic tribe of people. We just had 350 of them here a couple of weeks ago here at our farm. It was fabulous. Uh, and so if you want to be part of that and you want to come out and meet these folks, hey, we have a tribe and it's a wonderful tribe of people, more and more people waking up to this reality every single day, which is I am responsible for my own outcomes in this story. I had better make sure I have the right story and that I'm undertaking the right actions. Because if you remember from the adjustment reactions episode, and if you haven't watched it, check it out. In an adjustment reaction, Anything you do before the crisis hits is going to feel like an extreme overreaction. But in hindsight, you'll understand it was a complete underreaction. That's the moment of time we're in. So the invitation is to gather as much knowledge, information, context as you need so that you can begin taking new actions. You won't regret them. This is the time to trust your gut, trust your own spidey senses, follow me, follow other people, whatever you need to do to gather the information, you need to be clear that this is a time to be taking actions. And again, not to put a hair shirt on and be hunkering down, waiting for something bad to happen, but surround yourself with beauty, with love, with amazing high quality foods, with good people. That's actually the nature of this story. That's what this is really all about for this next set of years. So. Thank you very much for listening today. It has been my pleasure to be here with you and I hope you got something from this. If you liked it, hey, hit the like button. If you need to resubscribe, hit the subscribe button again. It happens all the time, people get unsubscribed. And as always, you can follow us on Sovereign at sovereign.media. That's a new platform out there. You can follow us on Rumble. You can follow us here on YouTube if this is where you're watching it or of course at peakprosperity.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.